Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hello, uh, this is today's version of Tax Tuesday. I'm Elliot Thomas, manager of the tax advisors here at Anderson, uh, filling in for Toby Mathis, who will be back, I think, for the next episode. And he's so. joined here by Jeffrey. Hello. VP of uh, Professional Services. Service. <laughs> My boss. <laughs> I don't even know his title. Anyway, uh, so this is our Tax Tuesday. We come back every other weekend or every other week on Tuesdays, and we'll answer some of the questions that you submitted. We'll get started on those. First of all, reading them all off here. First of all, our Tax Tuesday rules, I guess. Uh, we're going to ask uh, that you put in your questions for the Q&A feature in Zoom. And there we have a whole staff uh, back there. we got CPAs, we got uh, EAs, all kinds of people, bookkeeping managers, et cetera, to answer all those questions through your Q&A. Uh, they'll do the very best to get through all the questions. If there's questions that we can't get, uh, sometimes we'll ask you that you just submit them through the Platinum portal if you're a Platinum client. Uh, but we try and get all the questions that we can answer. This is not really an exercise where we're doing tax planning. So please keep your questions kind of, you know, as generalized as you can. And uh, you can email questions every time uh, to taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com. If you need a more detailed response, you will be need to become a uh, platinum or tax client. And I guess the overall idea is we want to help educate and we call it, what is it? Bring tax knowledge to the masses. That's right. That's Toby's, I think, uh, uh, what was it? It's a registered trademark. Yes, yeah, it's a trademark for it. All right. So we'll get started here. If you do have uh, questions, like uh, Elliot said, make sure you put them in the Q&A portion. Do not put them in the chat. If you have just general comments or jibber-jabber, <laughs> go ahead and put those in. While we're reading the questions, uh, just to make sure everybody can hear us okay, uh, could you put in uh, where, you're, where you're listening from? Or watching from in this case. Yeah, I guess in, in, and, the, in chat. the chats part portion. Not in the QA. So it looks like we have we got one person. Boston. We got Florida's, we got Tucson, Texas, New York, a whole bunch of them. So I think they can hear us okay. Los Angeles, San Diego, Nome. Oh yeah. Love Alaska. All right. So we'll get started here. Uh, first of all, again, I'm gonna go through all the questions, uh, list them off here, and then Jeff and I will go back and answer them all. Uh, first Three here we have on the screen. I have an S corporation. Can I institute an HRA plan? We'll get to that one here in a second. That'll be our first one. Uh, number two, can you deduct the renovation costs of renting the basement in the tax year 2021, but you do not have any rental income until the next year in 2022? Number three, can a real estate professional status be claimed a year to year with yearly gaps on any years uh, that you may not qualify? Next group. If I personally fund my small business, can I deduct all the monies I put into the business from my business taxes? Then, hi, I have two large taxable events for 2022. Are there any tax strategies to offset or mitigate the taxes on the following? Number one, 401k withdrawals to invest in real estate syndications. I already had the majority of the taxes withheld at withdrawal, but there is still the 10% penalty, which would be about 30k. And number two, we had selling of the primary residence in 2022. After all uh, improvements and closing costs, as well uh, as the 250,000 uh, exclusions, what we're referring to there are subtracted. I still have about 100,000 uh, taxable gain there. Excellent question there. Next, I am considering buying a small private plane, one of our favorites, uh, with my brother for 100% business travel and potentially rented out for other flyers uh, when we're not using it. Should we create a partnership to own the plane and then have our other businesses rent out? Uh, the plane for respective work trips, or should it be owned another way? Advise on the best asset protection and tax strategy here. Next, we have how long do you have to keep your primary house a rental in order for uh, a 1031 exchange uh, to get it into something else and selling it and paying capital gains on excess of 250000 since I'm single? We've lived in the primary house for nine years and we're considering downsizing. Next, I am about to purchase the home where my parents live in New York. It will be listed as a primary home, but I will only visit. The bank is saying that with special circumstances that I'm able to do this as my parents are not able to get a loan. This way, I won't, I won't pay a higher interest rate. How many years should I wait to put it in as an LLC or into an LLC? I take care of all expenses. Uh, my mom said I should claim all of my taxes, but I don't feel this is right because it's not the reason I've been doing this for the past seven years. They are both retired and don't work. Uh, she said it's, help, it's, it's to help me get something back. 
Next, uh, please explain the difference in pros and cons between our Section 721 exchanges and a 1031 exchange. Why have we never heard of this before? It sounds amazing compared to the 1031 exchange. <laughs> a lot of excitement on that one. <laughs> okay. What expenses can must be kept recorded in order to get tax reductions or deductions for a home office? And I, uh, then my W-2 income triggers high taxes to, to my current paycheck. And I think that's a, uh, RMDs, required minimum does of AMD, but social security, et cetera. How can I decrease this for uh, this year and next year by starting an Airbnb? Uh, info to questions submitted. I am a physician by profession and decrease work hours from 20 to, to 20 to 25 hours per week. All right. So just before we begin, just a, a reminder that you can uh, reach us on YouTube for subscribe on into our YouTube channel at ABA link. Uh, forward slash YouTube. And then uh, we have broad podcasts uh, through Google and Apple. And lastly, we have replays on your platinum portal for this show. And we are broadcasting on YouTube right now, I believe. Yes, I think we have Dana over there. She's usually our YouTube expert. And then again, questions, uh, when you want to send them in, send them to tax Tuesday at andersonadvisors.com. And uh, you can just get us our major, our, our primary uh, website, andersonadvisors.com. All right. First question. I have an S-Corp. Can I institute an HRA plan? What say you, Jeff? An HRA is a health reimbursement account. And yes, you can have a HRA and an S-Corporation. The problem is that you cannot benefit 5% shareholders. So if you're doing this only for the shareholders of the S-Corporation, this is not going to work out. The HRA could only be for the employees of the company. Now, you could reimburse insurance, and actually, you don't want to reimburse it. You actually want the S-Corporation to pay the insurance for you, and you can get a benefit from that health insurance. That also includes reimbursing for Medicare if you're uh, over 65 or older. That reimbursement does get included on your W-2, but it's also a reduction of income from the S-Corporation, so it balances itself out. Where the advantage comes in from that is on the other deductions what we call above-the-line deductions, you can take a deduction for self-employed health insurance. Yeah. So as Jeff pointed out, it, if you have your S-corporation pay for your health, and, and we're just talking about premiums here, Yes, uh, it is added into your W-2 income. But remember that the S-corporation gets a deduction for that. Uh, and it is subject to federal and state income tax withholding, but it's not, that portion is not subject to employment tax. So you get a little bit of a break there. And then when we put that over onto your 1040, uh, what we call adjustments to income in the bottom, as just pointing out, you're going to get a, you kind of get the deduction back, if you will. So you come out a little bit ahead uh, that way, just a smidgen, but it's not the same as the HRA, which, which is the original question here there. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you are an employee, probably an owner, uh, you probably can't take advantage of it, but your other employees could. Correct. This is also going to apply to any family members, excuse me, the, um, the, the, de your dependents, your, your lineage mm -hmm. and direct, uh, siblings, so forth, um, would also be prohibited from participating in a H or HRA within your S corporation. Now with the C corporation, you can own it 100% mm -hmm. and still get reimbursed for the corporation for your, your health costs out-of-pocket health costs. Absolutely. One of the reasons that we like C-corporations so much, but as Jeff pointed out, the uh, IRS and Congress caught on to, well, what if I have my wife work as a as a W-2 employee and yet I'm a 100% owner? We can't, we can't get around the rules here that way because you're a related party. Yeah. All right. Excellent question. Next, can you deduct the renovation costs of renting the basement in tax year 2021, but you don't have any rental income until tax year 2022? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to make some assumptions here. Number one, I'm, I'm going to assume we're talking about our personal residence and maybe we're just renting an area of it out, maybe the basement. You you can, uh, you know, there, there's an element of depreciation that would go in here. And what really is going to happen is renovation costs. Jeff points this out a lot. He's really good at always picking this up that you, you're going to have some direct costs to that area and then some that might be kind of added to the overall basis of the whole house. It's possible that you have a business in 2021 that if it was available for rent, that might be a, a, an option where you would be able to deduct it perhaps uh, in 2021 have at least some deduction, uh, but then didn't really actually weren't able to get it rented out until 2022 and then it would carry on there. Yeah. And looking at this, because you say you didn't have any income in 2022, but were you seeking to rent it out in 2021, but just couldn't find anybody to move in? In that case, it would be possible to take some of these expenses in 2021. But 
If it wasn't available to rent until 2022, then you're going to have to hold off to take any deductions on that basement rental till 2022. Yeah. And you're going to have to kind of have some way of kind of proving that it was available for rent, that you had it out there and, you know, it was publicized that it was available, Craigslist, whatever, wherever you're advertising. So, and the real problem is if someone actually calls you on it to try and rent it, you can't really turn them away then if you're not ready. So, which brings up another reason, you know, well, we'll leave it at that for tax purposes. There's what we call, what I call separate structure rules, which goes back to what you were saying about the renovation costs and what they're for and so forth. At a minimum, you have to have separate entrances, separate facilities, no community areas to be considered a separate unit. So, for example, this basement uh, apartment, and I, I know when we use the term basement, my mother has a, a basement type like this that's all decked out, has a kitchen down there and everything, uh, has a separate entrance. She could do something like this and possibly separate her living area from the basement area. But yeah, it takes some, you, you got to have it. It's got to be a kind of an independently operating area in order to, to consider it a separate rental area. Assuming that's not what was meant in the question though, that we're just talking about our house and we just have this area that we're renting out a little bit, maybe occasional Airbnb or something like that. Then we're going to have to piecemeal the, 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 the costs out. Yeah. When you have this combined property and, and you are carving out a section for renting out don't you feel like you'd still have to look at the value of the entire property Absolutely. to actually segregate what what the costs are? And that also goes back to what you were saying about, I may have finished out the basement so I could do this, but then you have to determine, does the cost go towards the rental portion mm-hmm. or does it actually increase the entire value of the home? Yeah, there's going to be some direct costs there, undoubtedly, that will have to be attributed just to that area. Um, kind of like, you know, in a home office and we'll get to that question later on, but, um, then there's portions that will go to the whole house. I would think usually in renovation. All right. So a lot to think about on that one. Next, uh, can a real estate professional status be claimed year to year with yearly gaps on any years that you do not qualify? This, this is a good question. And the answer is yes, this is an annual test. So the question was asked, can you and, and the question really is more of must you. Uh-huh. So each year, um, I'm a real estate professional. I own all these properties. I qualified in 19. I qualified 20. 21 came about and I didn't spend as much time. I didn't make my 750 hours. I was working full time because I needed more money or whatever. I'm not going to qualify as real estate professional now. Now, the one of the little problems is, is that aggregation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm no longer a real estate professional for, for at least 2021, but I made an aggregation election to aggregate all my properties together into one activity. That election stays in effect forever uh-huh. until you sell what? Substantially all. <laughs> Substantially all of your, your, your activities in that <laughs> aggregation. So that is one thing to consider. Now, I don't think that's normally a big deal. Let me ask you this. I didn't qualify for real estate professional in 2021. Would that mean any losses I had in 2021 would be passive? Yeah, it, what, all that's going to happen here, and this is a really good question because a lot of our clients have real estate professional status or are thinking of getting there. You had it, and then all of a sudden you don't. It just goes back, it reverts back to all the passive loss rules with the exception, as Jeff points out, that you've now aggregated, so they're all stuck together like cement. And so you're just going to uh, whip up a bunch of passive losses that get suspended that year. And unless you have other passive income, yeah, they'll just sit there. And then let's say the next year you've, you get back to real estate professional status. Well, you've now effectively blocked those passive losses for that one year. And they're isolated until you find some other form of passive income. And it surely won't be real estate because as Jeff pointed out, you aggregated. So you're stuck there. So it's it, the end of the world doesn't happen. They don't take your properties away or anything like that. But uh, you do have this passive loss issue you have to work out that one year. So here's what we sometimes see. Uh, I qualified to be a real estate professional, as I said, in the past couple of years, but 21, I didn't. And I may have intentionally worked more outside of real estate because I know I'm selling one of my properties uh-huh. and want to free up those losses. Well, the aggregation election prevents me from, from freeing up those passive losses. They stay suspended until I get rid of virtually everything that, that's aggregated together. Substantially all. Yep. 
However, any gain from the sale of that property is still passive gain because it's coming from a passive activity. It's just your suspended losses. You, you can't free up like that. Yeah, they're really stuck unless you find some other investment that's going outside of real estate that's going to give you passive income. And then you could ups- offset it with that perhaps down the line. But to directly to the question, yes, you can have real estate one year, real estate professional one year, and then not the following year, and then all of a sudden reobtain real estate professional in the third year. And we actually had that. We had a uh, professional who took some time off to, uh, she wanted to have a family. So she, she took some time off from her career, had the family, was doing the real estate professional. And then a year or two later, she got back into, she quit being a real estate professional to get back into her profession. Yeah. So there are some times where, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a, a good move that we might be able to pick up for a year or two, get some bonus depreciation cost segs going. Uh, and then if we go back to work, well, and we had a property we were still looking at really wanted, well, maybe we can do that short-term rental plan that we always talk about, which would be unrelated to real estate professional, but there's things that can be worked with uh, just more advanced tax planning. We've probably talked about this before when we talk about aggregation. So in 2019, I made that aggregation election to put this property, this property, and this property, aggregate them all as in one election. Well, what happens in 2020 when I buy another property? Well, that property is automatically sucked into that aggregation group. Uh, And every property I buy after that, as long as I have any of those properties, they will still keep accumulating into that aggregation. Yeah, any rental activity will be thrown in there. Absolutely. It's just like a, you know, just... Sucks it all in, <laughs> including <laughs> including things like uh, syndications and so mm-hmm. forth. Or if you have a partnership that's also doing rental real estate, that will get pulled in also. Mm-hmm. But short term will not. That's right. Short term rental thing we always have to caution. Short term rental, true, but I say tax code short term rental is not rental activity at all. It's a it's you're basically a hotel, so it's not related to rental activity at all. And people love when we say short term rentals aren't really rentals. Yeah, it's a kind of. <laughs> Poor choice of words by the IRS, but nonetheless. All right. Next, if I personally fund my small business, can I deduct all the monies I put into my business from my business taxes? This is, a, well, I'll let Jeff start, but it's kind of, a, it depends how you, what, what our business is and how it's structured. So you and I started business, Elliot. We each put $50,000 in. Is that a deduction to you? No. No. <laughs> That's what we call a capital contribution. We are contributing money to the business. So even if it's a pass-through, if it's a corporation, it's not a deduction period. It's an investment. And, and the S corporation and partnership, even the sole proprietor, still treat it kind of the same way. You're investing in your business. Now, if it's one of the latter three, the partnership, S corp, or uh, sole proprietor, you are getting deductions from, from the business for expenses of the business. That's right. It's how the, the business spends it. So if it spends it on buying a new uh, laptop, it's going to get. That's where you're going to get your deduction. And as Jeff points out, if it's a sole proprietorship partnership S corp, that's going to flow through to your personal return. So you get the the same effect as if it kind of in a sense was you taking the deduction, but it's really through your business. But what happens on the C corp? Well, the C corp, uh, the C corp is its own entity, and the C corp either has the tax or doesn't have the tax or the, the income and loss. But it also has what we call 1244. Yes. So you can build up losses in there. Uh, and if you have overall losses and, and basically dissolve your C corporation, there's a process you have to go through, but you can get a loss up to 100,000 married filing joint, 50,000 filing single against ordinary income, mm-hmm. the stock loss, where, which normally that would be a short term capital loss, which means you're limited to $3,000 for the, each year until you eat up all that, which would be 33 years in case of 100,000. So uh, it's it can be quite a nice deduction there to help. and it's meant to encourage business and it's there for a purpose. So you and I had put what total hundred thousand dollars into mm-hmm. this partnership, and uh, we brought in twenty thousand of revenue and spent sixty or eighty say eighty thousand because we're not very good at what we do. <laughs> uh, uh, so we have a net loss of sixty thousand dollars that will pass back to us. Yeah, pretty much fifty fifty if that's our arrangement uh, and our investment in the partnership or if it's an S corporation will still be $40,000. That's the difference. 20,000 for him, 20,000 for me. So we still have money in there. One thing else I want to talk about was you, more one of us mentioned 1244. You will read and see that 1244 also applies to S corporations. 
It does, but it's more challenging. Yes. And, and the reason why is because usually your losses have flown through, uh, uh, gone through, flowed through onto your, your 1040. So there isn't any loss there. Yeah. I don't think I've seen an S corporation yet where we've been able to use 1244. I did one. <laughs> and that was like my first year at Anderson. And uh, I haven't seen one in a sense because it is very rare. It was a unique set of circumstances. So what if we don't get our $20,000 back? Well, then, if it, again, depending on the type of business, you would probably have a a, a capital loss, I would imagine, on yeah. the, the business. As Especially well. like on a C corporation. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're not 1244 aside, if we're not getting the 1244, then it's going to be a, a capital loss limited to the capital loss rules. Yeah. All right. Next. Uh, hi, I have two large taxable events for 2022. Are there any tax strategies to offset or mitigate taxes on the following? Number one, 401k withdrawals from investment real estate syndications. I already had the majority of taxes withheld at withdrawal, but there's still a 10% penalty, which would be about 30000 uh, And then sold my primary residency in 2022 after all improvements and closing costs as well. As the 250000 are subtracted, I still owe about 100000 taxable. So there's certainly things that we can do. A lot of them will depend on what's going on in your return and what kind of investments you get into. Anything hit you, Jeff? Uh, there's certain exceptions to the 10% penalty. One is, of course, is you, you meet the age requirement of 59 and a half. I believe so, yeah. I get the rules, 50, 55, 59 yeah. and a half. <laughs> I'm past all of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so there is that rule. There's first-time home buyer exception. There's the medical events exception to the 10% penalty. Uh, that one in particular says whatever you show on schedule is deductible for medical that's how much you can exempt from your uh, of your 401k or IRA distribution. Some of the rules apply to the IRAs that don't apply to 401k and vice versa. However, in this case, I don't know of any exception that's going to get you out of the 10% penalty. Yeah, no, no real estate syndication exception. <laughs> so, but, go ahead. But but we would look for other things. You you got a, a syndication, so that tells me you're into real estate. Uh, and you did a withdrawal. That means, uh, to me, that means that you bought it in your personal name. So, do we have other real estate things like uh, could we pick up a short-term rental, uh, or maybe uh, are we? Do we have at least uh, one or two long-term rentals where we might get real estate professional? I guess you're single, so uh, that would be unlikely if you have a W-2 job. But those are things where we might get some great depreciation deductions or something like that. We might have to really really start scraping at everything here. You got a 401k, assuming that you still have it, make sure you're deferring as much as you can into that. Uh, you know, if you have stocks, you know, any, any capital losses out there, try and take advantage of those, get as much, I guess, you know, it'd be limited to 3000 in this case. But. but No, that's a good point. We may not be able to do about anything about the 10% penalty itself. So what else can we attack? Mm -hmm. What other taxes can we attack? Now, he said um, something I wanted to go back to, 401k withdrawn to invest in real estate syndications. Was there a possibility of another way to do this? Maybe invest within the 401k? Absolutely. And that's what I was thinking is you invest inside the 401k into real estate uh, syndication. We see it all the time with IRAs and stuff like that. You just have to get your 401k plan approved as an accredited investor and you invest inside your 401k. A couple good benefits from that is one, you don't pay the taxes and penalties on the withdrawal. Uh, two, we always hope these syndications go up significantly in value. We're, we're not there for the rent or anything. We're, we're there for the uh, appreciation appreciation in the real estate. It goes up by, say, 20%, 30%. None of that gain is taxable to you. Right. It's, it, that's an excellent play. The, 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 you know, the, those opponents will say, well, but then you don't get any benefit from the depreciation uh, write-offs against your you know, income on your personal return. That's correct, because it's all isolated in your retirement account. Still, as Jess pointed out, any growth is tax-free. I mean, that's free is the best word in tax, right? Mm -hmm. you know, that's, <laughs> so there's things there. But when we couple up with number two here, the sell the primary residency, that is, that 100000 is going to be capital. And there, I guess, would be more to the point, if you have any, like if you had... You know, if you bought Bitcoin <laughs> when it was a lot higher, uh, you might have some capital losses. Well, that could be used to offset. You might want to uh, sell off some capital losses to, to conquer that 100000 because that is capital. Still not going to help us with number one uh, because that's, you know, you, that's going to be considered ordinary on, on that, the taxes on that. But um, And we're going to have a question about this later. Uh, you could consider turning your primary residence. Well, you already sold it, so that's not even an alternative. You could have considered uh, turning it into a rental for 
at least some period of time before you've exchanged it into another property. So, some of these things like that can be expensive, especially when you're talking to primary residents, mm. because you do have to have some place to live. So you have to have the cash to do so. And the last thing we want to do is pull more money out of your 401k so you can buy another residence right. while you're waiting for this one. More, more penalty then. Yeah, that just will be going backwards on that. So, you know, what you did with the extra cash from the sale of your primary residency might be a clue. If, you, if we can get into some kind of investment that would give you deductions, real estate's always a great one. Um, short term? Yeah, yeah. Short term would probably be the easiest. We often talk about the short term rentals because because it's it's just a lot easier in real estate professional status in you know in some cases. So, might be a thought. And, and we do understand that some of the short term rentals are being looked down upon by metro areas. And I, I know the Las Vegas area yeah. had some issues for a while because <laughs> there were a lot of party houses. Uh, and the what? neighbors didn't seem to like that. <laughs> I remember reading articles about when the guy brought, uh, what was it, rocket late grenade launchers or whatever. Oh and, uh, yeah, real stuff. I mean, this was all in the news. They, it was on the, in the whole, whole country. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, not my neighbors. <laughs> RPG, <laughs> probably, probably Jeff's. RPG, rental propel grenades. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> That's how Jeff's neighborhood uh, is. But yeah, also, uh, we talk about this frequently. With this $100,000 a gain, if you don't want to pay tax on that, look, see what losses you may have elsewhere, capital losses mm-hmm. that you can harvest. My favorite place to harvest losses right now is crypto. For a couple of reasons, I can take those losses today on that $60,000 Bitcoin I purchased that's now worth $22,000. Go ahead and take the loss, and I can turn around and buy that Bitcoin back again tomorrow. No wash rule. No wash rule. Yeah. So that's, that's a really great one. Yeah, get that loss. Take it to offset your hundred thousand, but but you can also do that with regular stocks. Uh, just keeping in mind that you cannot buy them back in the next thirty days after your sale. That same stock. So if I sell Boeing, I can't buy Boeing back for thirty until day thirty one, I believe. Correct. All right. Next, I am considering buying a small private plane with my brother for one hundred percent business travel and potentially rent it out to other flyers when we're not using it. Should we create a partnership to own the plane and then have other our other business rented out uh, the plane for respective work trips, or should it be owned another way? Advise on the best asset protection and tax strategy here. So when I first started reading this question, my first thought was, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, what you lay out here is exactly what you want to do. Uh-huh. Um, I've had clients that have had jets uh, and, and so forth. I had another client. He was a doctor, and he had a couple different planes that yeah. he used for business. Uh-huh. And, and you want to do that. I would put it in a separate entity. I would keep pristine flight logs. I would mark what each is for, which each flight is for, when it's business, when it's personal, and so forth. Charge rent for these when you're flying for third parties. I'm assuming either you or you have a pilot of your own. If you're renting a small private plane to other parties, I would get a ton of insurance on it, liability Mm -hmm. insurance. Well, I got an LLC. Yeah. You kind of want every kind of protection you have. But yeah, the, this is exactly how I, I would handle this. These things often run at losses. You, you know what? Just the fuel costs and the, uh, what do they call it? Well, the, basically the airport service cost, uh, how much they can be. Every time I land somewhere, somebody wants to charge me something. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely in an LLC and only have the plane in there. Or anything that directly involves a plane. And, and you could do the rental from that. Uh, like I said, keep the great call or flight logs. You want to log every hour that plane's engines are spooled up. Uh-huh. Get really good insurance uh, to protect you. And I, I'm thinking more along the lines of umbrella insurance at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I think any kind of insurance, anything that says the word insurance, I'd be looking at. So would you, in a case like this, would you actually do two umbrella policies, one for the LLC and one for you personally? Wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, you know, your insurance provider will be able to tell you that and they won't have any problem selling you <laughs> what they can, uh, but that might not be a bad plan. Yeah, because you know they're an inherently dangerous thing, obviously, for so many reasons, and inexpensive to maintain. As Jeff pointed out, I remember a long time ago, a friend used to drive a Blackhawk helicopter, and he was telling me something that's like ten thousand dollars a blade hour, 
you know, to run one mm-hmm. of those. And um, that's, I think, far less expensive than a, than a plane, but I don't know for a fact. They don't call them heavier than air for no reason. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Completely goes against the, the laws of nature. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but the asset protection, I think you got the right idea. Certainly in an LLC, uh, partnership probably because the ease of putting assets in and out as opposed to, say, an S-corp or a C-corp. I think probably despite your best efforts to rent this out, you probably are looking at a loss. I don't know. It's, you know, there, there's business savvy to be done in this type of thing, you know, where you could make a go of it if you, if you had it available for enough business renting. But, um, you know, it sounds like you're going to do some personal there and that's going to cut back on what we can do for deductions unless you paid yourself market rate for it. When I was at IRS uh, around 2011 or around 2010, 2012, IRS was heavily targeting these because they knew people were not doing things the way you intend to. So, yeah, you really want to make sure you're doing things the right way, that you're doing things on the up and up. Because I, I think you can get in a particular event where you think you're doing it on the up and up, but if you're not documenting things properly, you're going to get nailed by the IRS. And it's too too late to document then. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you do the best you can. But no, I think your ownership's a good idea. Keep that you know away from everything else uh, as far as don't put any other assets in it, as Jeff pointed out. And your tax strategy is really going to be operating as a business and then by keeping very good logs for your personal use. And you know what? This, this is similar to people who want to buy uh, a car in, what's it called, Turo, things of that nature. Yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. You kind of run into the same type of liability and all. Mm-hmm. That all you need is somebody who went out partying in your rental vehicle, get drunk, kill somebody. And they're going to be come looking for you. So yeah. you want to protect yourself as much as possible. Now, hopefully nobody's flying your plane drunk. I, 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 yeah. I don't see that happening except on uh, maybe airlines. But uh, <laughs> don't want to touch that one. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, you get as protected as you can. All right. Next, uh, how long do you have to keep your primary house as a rental in order to 1031 it or exchange it into something else instead of selling it and paying capital gains in excess of the 250000 since I'm single? Uh, we've lived in the primary house for nine years and we're considering downsizing. Yep. <laughs> Brings up a couple issues here. You know, the first thing I'll say as far as that time period, there's nothing in the code that says it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter that you ran it uh, as, as a trader business. That's what is required in a 1031. Well, what does that mean? If you go on enough commentary and look out there online and things like that, you're going to see a lot of two years uh, is mentioned. That's not what the code says, though. The code says it has to be used as a trader business. And when have you established that? That's anybody's guess. But kind of uh, a lot out there, a lot of people would say probably two years. I like to say reported on two different tax returns, mm-hmm. maybe less than a year, maybe more than a year. What do I base it on? Like you said, there's yeah. really nothing. I don't think there's even anything in that's been adjudicated to really. I haven't found it yet. If there is, you know. And, and what tends to happen is, if it goes before the sixth circuit, they may come to some ruling. If it goes before the ninth, it may come to a different one, eleven, so forth. Until something like this, for some reason, will become come before the Supreme Court. I don't think there's going to be a tight decision unless Treasury comes out with some ruling. And what's going to happen when that does happen? If it gets up there. Some law clerks just going to Google it and find that everybody says two years, and so that all of a sudden that becomes our law. So there we go. Oh, Elliot Thomas. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Your Honor, two years. <laughs> um, so you know, go with that. I, I like the two. I, I like having it on two returns because it shows you definitely we're running it as a rental. Make sure it's at fair market rate too. Don't try and just put two you know people you know in there and say please stay here. I'll cut the rent yeah. down or anything like yeah. that. IRS will look right through that kind of thing. So what's the maximum amount of time I could hold this as a rental? I assume, and you mean, and still take advantage of the 250. I, I do. Yeah. So the rules with the 250, you have, to have, you have to have owned it and treated it as a primary residency for at least two of the last five years. So you'd be able to do it for theoretically up to three years, but you're really cutting it close that everything will work if you, if you get into that close to three years. Yeah. This is really a case that where two years works once you go beyond that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it starts getting iffy because one thing to keep in mind with with any 1031 exchange is at least in this past market as it's been very easy to sell your house it has been very difficult to find a replacement property uh-huh. 
So we talk about the identification period of being 45 days in a 1031, either 45 days before or 45 days after the sale. Honestly, if I'm planning on doing a 1031, I'm looking hard before I ever sell my property. Yeah. In this market, I'd be looking six months ahead at least, trying to find something that might pull, you know, but which probably won't be there, but at least it gets me into the mode of seeing what's out there and what I can realistically mm-hmm. expect. Good question. All right. I am about to purchase the home where my parents live in New York. It will be listed as my primary home, but I will only visit. The bank is saying with a special circumstance that I'm able to do this, my parents are not able to get the loan. This is why I won't pay a higher interest rate. How many years should I wait uh, to put it in as an LLC? I take care of all expenses. My mom said I should claim them on my taxes, but I don't feel right doing so because that's not the reason I have been doing this for this last seven years. Uh, they're both retired and don't work. She said it, uh, it helps me get something back by taking the expenses is what's being referred to there. Uh, l- let's talk about primary residence. Uh, primary home. I'm assuming that this is for the bank's purposes. Yeah. Saying it's your primary home. And the reason I say that is this house would never, ever qualify to be your tax primary home. Basically, what the rules say is you have to have at least, I believe it's 180 nights per year in this home to make it your tax home. You're also going to need to be licensed in New York, uh, have your voting records in New York, or your voter registration, I should say. It's a difficult situation from a tax standpoint because it's not your primary residence, probably. And um, there you almost look at best maybe calling it a, a second home, in which case you get the mortgage interest and the property taxes, perhaps. So you can deduct the tax, the real estate taxes on this home if you own it. Hmm. Uh, you can deduct the real estate taxes on any real estate you own. The problem is uh, if you also live in New York and have New York withholding you're not going to benefit from that. So one of the alternatives is to take the mortgage interest, uh, the real estate taxes, and any any other expenses, maybe HOA fees, Mm -hmm. and just plow them into the investment, the basis of this property, which you can do. There's an election to do that, saying, I'm just going to capture all these costs as the investment and not deduct the expenses. That way, while the value of the property goes up, hopefully, uh, your cost, your basis is also going up. Probably not as fast, but... Uh, help you out down the line. Though. Help you out down the line. Uh-huh. Good point. What about putting it in the LLC, though? Well, if we determine it's, a, it's an investment at that point, then I, yeah, you can go ahead and put it in there. I don't know if, again, the whole primary residency thing, that's going to be on the lender. You know, If they're calling this a personal loan for, you know, for, for your primary residency, you're going to want to be careful with that because some lenders get in trouble with that if they turn around and use it for commercial, but you're not, you're not renting it out to anybody. You just want to make sure you're satisfying them that you're using it enough personally to qualify for whatever their qualifications are. But then the, as far as the tax aspect, once it becomes an investment, I assume then put it into the LLC, I would think. Yeah. If this is an investment, could he deduct or she, could they deduct the mortgage interest on this property as investment interest? I mean, I mean, I know if they were renting it, well, yes, they obviously could, but uh, just as an investor, I'm not sure. I know they could do the, the taxes. They can, like you say, you can always deduct those, but the interest, would that be an, would that be an investment interest well, tax where you're limited to the- Limited to your investment, investment income. Yes. Interest income, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on about putting in the LLC. Normally I would say, don't worry about it, but since the bank is classifying this as your primary residence, I'm kind of surprised that the underwriter was willing to do that. Not here to question them. Just no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm just the facts, ma'am. Um, I would normally say go ahead and put it in LLC, but in this case, I think I would wait to put it in the LLC. There, there's not a tremendous amount of uh, liability here. I don't think your parents are going to sue you. Just have regular insurance on it or whatever. Talk to your insurer about it. Make sure they're covered, you're covered, et cetera. But maybe two years of investment would be, the, I would think, plenty. And then you're probably to where you could go ahead and call it an investment. Yeah, I, I would probably get landlord insurance on this and also have my parents purchase rental insurance on it to cover their goods. Because what we tend to find is um, I've seen it where a, somebody was living with their significant other and they weren't an owner of the house. House burns down. They cover the, the, the owner's stuff, but they never, didn't, wouldn't cover any of the significant other stuff uh, because they consider her a renter, a renter, a tenant, more of that nature. 
Now, if your parents are lots of wild parties with elderly people, you may want to get a little more insurance. But and in Jeff's neighborhood, <laughs> that's right. Fire extinguisher and grenade launchers. All right. Crazy old people. Yeah. <laughs> Please explain the difference, pros and cons of our section 721 versus a 1031 exchange. Why have we never heard of this before? It sounds so amazing compared to the 1031 exchange. <laughs> they're alike and they're not alike. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of talked about the 1031 exchange. Elliot wants to sell his rental property. He goes through a qualified intermediary who actually does a sale for him, holds the proceeds. And then when Elliot finds the, the replacement property, purchase the replacement property. So Elliot gets rid of one property, ends up with another property, doesn't pay any tax on the game. Section 721, where I've seen it most used is in real estate investment trust and REITs. And what you're doing there is you are exchanging your property, your investment property with the limited partnership, typically the REIT in exchange for an interest and all the properties for the REIT. Again, it's a tax-deferred exchange. It's called 721 exchange because all all the 700 code is for partnerships. So that's how that typically works. You got anything else on this? Well, that's you you asked for pros and cons. And I think that's you do enough research on these. You're going to see that's one of the big pros is that you get an interest in a lot of different varied commercial or whatever type of property. So you're, you're spread out a little bit more. Uh, as opposed to just one single property that will, you know, make it or break it, let's say. So that's a real, you know, pro to it. Uh, probably less for you to deal with, you know, than having another rental property. I can't tell you how many times I hear clients like, hey, man, uh, real estate's done fantastic for me, Elliot, but I'm at that age. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. This could be fantastic for them. And they can still, they believe in real estate. They can get into this type of thing. That might work very well for them. Uh, there are Dividends that come out, and those are taxable. You know, they have to, in order to meet these REIT standards, those are very specific, and they have to pay out so much like 90% of all their income and dividends, and that would be taxable income, I believe, is my understanding. Uh, so you have that, but, you know, again, the, the, the major portion's been, and, well, that's another thing, in, in certain circumstances here, you lose kind of the control over that interest, and they could sell your property, which could create capital gains. Uh, so there's, other issues depend on the type of REIT you're working with. So a, a couple of pros, you're no longer managing a single property. You're getting a portfolio mm, Yeah, managed by a professional company that does this for a living. Mm. One of the cons are is finding a REIT willing to take on your property. The REIT you may be looking at may only invest in apartment complexes or a particular type of homes or, or things of that nature, even office buildings. I don't know if I've seen this or not. I think some of them are probably willing to purchase a property from you to get into their REIT, and then they turn around and sell that property right off, right away. Yeah, and you kind of get a repl- your replacement interest is really the investment in the, the REIT or the up REIT, sometimes they call it. So you talked about the dividends and all. Uh, have you ever gotten one of those 1099s from your broker that are corrected like four months after the end of the year? This is why. Uh, REITs are not required to have their 1099s completed until, I believe, May 15th. Yeah. So you're already after the fact to begin with. Yeah. Your broker already knows how much dividends you got from the REIT, but then the REIT comes out with their 1099 to the broker that reclassifies everything and corrects everything. So that that's why you often see uh, those uh Corrected 1099Bs. This, more than anything else, might be one of the best examples of why you always extend your (laughs) your 1040. I mean, there's just no other reason because you're going to have to amend it. And so you can wait until the correct one comes out after after May 15th or um, whenever they get out, the the REITs get them out. So I I, I think you pointed out something really good. Uh, And it can be a pro, it can be a con. if you want to manage your real estate, then you want to do a 1031. Yeah. If you want to still be hands-on in there. Um, if you don't mind giving up control and you're just you're getting a K-1 every year, then maybe Section 7021 is 21 is for you. And what you said about, um, I've had clients that have had their own little portfolio and like, I'm tired of this. I am so over this. And they pushed it off on the REITs or they sold off what they can. And did the 721 exchange. Again, it's a tax-free exchange like the 1031 exchanges. Uh, with both of them, um, 
depreciation is also deferred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depreciation recapture. So, but you do lose a little bit of control mm-hmm. under the seven twenty one. So that you you would have with your replacement property in ten thirty one. Yeah. All right. What expenses can must be recorded in order to get a tax deduction reduction for a home office? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much the right answer right there. Well, I look at, I always think administrative office or administrative use of home when I see home office through a re- reimbursement through a corporation, because that's what we preach probably the most here. Certainly, you're going to want to have all the basics, your utilities, you know, water, gas, power, electric, property taxes, mortgage interest. You're going to want to have a calculation for the depreciation to that little area of your house mm-hmm. over 39 years because it's a commercial. And then taken by your percentage of office space area, so you know how much that is. And any records around those items, uh, we get asked a lot about. Well, what about you know the maintenance of the yard and things outside? Typically, if it's outside your four walls, it doesn't count. You get your house, you get the inside of the house repainted. Painted that that's a repair that counts into the calculation. You get the outside painted, you get nothing. Yeah. So yeah, your pool outside doesn't help you any, but your utilities do. Did you mention that? Yep. Yep. Uh, HOA fees, mm-hmm. uh, trash, things of that sort. Trash removal would work. Yeah. That's hopefully outside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but lands- landscaping won't repair, so the outside won't. However, the, the landscaping out, outside areas will work if your office is where you meet clients on a regular basis. And I don't mean once every week. I mean, like you have five clients come in every day where it is actually your office and your, 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 that's your storefront, you're outside, then the IRS does allow that. Yeah. Now, when we start, we talked a little bit about separate detached building. Yes. That gets into a whole different ball of wax mm-hmm. where you may be able to, let's say you turn the garage into an office. And that's all it's used for. Then you can bifurcate that. Mm-hmm. I don't get to use that word. No, I know. I love that word. <laughs> uh, bifurcate that and um, depreciate that entire office building inside and outside. So that's one time. And I've also seen people. Uh, I worked with a guy who had a fabulous office. He had a cleaning lady and the cleaning expense would go for that. And yeah. So forth. So. Yeah, we left that off. Cleaning expenses. That would certainly be part yep. of it. Mm-hmm. So this is really a case where you can over record and you'll be told if, if no, we can't deduct that. But if you under record, you're going to miss out on deductions possibly. Yeah. I get everything, especially the things that are directly related. Cause we can hundred percent that if it's directly related to the office area, I used to give an example about the home office deduction where, you know, they made the mistake of inviting me into their house to show me their office with their nice white carpet. And they gave me a, a fruit punch high C that I spilled all over the carpet. Now, if they have to replace that carpet itself directly in there, that's 100% right mm-hmm. there, as opposed to if I dropped it on the way into the office where it's outside and then we just get a percentage. You get a new desk, bookshelf, stuff like that. Those are all called direct expenses yeah, no. and are deductible 100%. You don't have to allocate it between the whole house. And the legal fees to keep Elliot out of the house going forward. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So hopefully that helps. Uh, another great question there. Let's see what we've got next. That it? Oh, one more. My W-2 income triggers high taxes due to current paycheck, uh, AMD, I'm thinking RMD, Social Security, et cetera. AMT. AMT. Oh, okay. I'll turn, you know, okay. I'll turn, uh, how can I decrease this uh, for this year and next year by starting an Airbnb? Info uh, uh, to question submitted. I am a physician by profession and decreased work hours from 20 to 25 uh, per week. So, I think the key here is we're going with the Airbnb and, and we have all this income coming in. What do we do, Jeff? We, we start Airbnb. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this just once. I think I don't think I said it today. I like having separate property to do my Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I don't like using my personal property mm-hmm. where I live for it. But yeah, you want to materially participate in that activity. You want the average stay to be seven days or less. Those two items are critical to getting any kind of deductions out of this. And I know you said uh, you, you've reduced your work hours to 20, 25 hours per week. That actually doesn't play into this the way it does in the real estate profession. Exactly. It's kind of a red herring. It doesn't really matter here. It would if we're a real estate professional, but if we're true short-term rental, and I always use that phrase, we're by the tax code, what it considers a short-term rental then we don't care about the hours that you have in your other jobs or anything like that. As long as you have a 
we typically recommend over 100 hours, and you do more than anybody else on that short-term rental. And we talk about substantial services, and that may be having a cleaning person come in every day, empty trash, make beds, and leave. Yeah. Change up the linens. And Something, towels. yeah. By substantial services, we mean for the tenant while they're staying there. Mm-hmm. Putting water in the refrigerator. Yeah, I had a friend, uh, and also, you know, like, uh, if you have, you go into a hotel, they always have the coffee maker's tea, changing those out. I had a friend who used to bring in fresh cut flowers. He and his spouse would change that out all the time. Uh, just little things like that, you know, to to show you're more like a hotel. And why? Because of what Jeff and I talked all the way back earlier. This is a short-term rental, which has nothing to do with rental. Okay, it's it's you're you're trying to emulate a hotel, which is an active business. It's not like long-term rentals. And so, if we do that, if we materially participate, then we're going to get that great deduction of of a cost seg, hopefully, and things like that. Yeah, I didn't mean to mention that cost segregation. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we got to have that. <laughs> yeah, bonus depreciation. Uh, and, and in the year that that you make it to short-term rental. One other thing I wanted to bring up, I know you said you reduced your hours to 20, 25 hours a week. Let's suppose you're married, and I don't know that that's the case. You could still be working 100 hours a week, and as long as your spouse qualified, Mm -hmm. had enough time into this Airbnb, they could be materially participating, and you jointly would get that deduction. That's right. So a lot of of flexibility here with the the short-term rental. It's usually a little bit easier to get into uh, than, say, the real estate professional, especially if you only have one building. It's very difficult with one rental to get into real estate professional sets. So you have to have several, uh, really. And then, of course, as you point out, reduced hours. So, Elliot, I, I bought this nice property uh, that I'm doing short-term rental. And I'm, I'm going to do short-term all t- through 2022. I, I know I'm going to get into 2023, and by then, I'm going to be tired of this. Can I turn it into a long-term rental? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not stuck as a short-term rental. We can go ahead and turn it into a long-term rental later on. And if you wish to pursue real estate professional status at that time, you certainly can. But he did cost segregation while it was short-term rental. That's okay. It's a billion's a billion. The depreciation is depreciation. It'll just continue on. All righty. All right. Well, I think that's it for our questions. Yes. And so just a reminder, uh, you can listen to us on the YouTubes, our podcasts, and watch our replays for the Platinum Portal. And I think we'll be back in two weeks, probably with Toby back. I Toby? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> you can sit in for me if you really want. No. <laughs> I want our boss. No, Elliot does a great job, and I appreciate him being here while Toby's out. That's yeah, fun. But uh, it's good to have good to have Toby back. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Oh, yeah, and you get questions, uh, throw them in through Tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com or visit us online at AndersonAdvisors.com. And thank you, and have a good two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 